Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Welcome everybody. My name is Robert. I'm one of the pastors here, one of the privileged pastors, and um, it's good to be here with you again on a Sunday. Um, Today we're going to be talking about multinational multi-ethnic, multicultural mission. And I'm going to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 11. <clears throat> and before we read, I'd like to pray. Asking for God's help. Heavenly Father, we, we praise you this morning, this afternoon. Um, for your amazing grace and for your goodness that you continually, consistently, perpetually aim and direct in our direction. And not because of any good thing in us, but because of Jesus. And the wonderful, horrific, yet beautiful work that he did for us on that bloody cross as he was bludgeoned, beaten, busted for us. And for that we thank you. That's why we're here. That's why we're Alive in a dual fashion. We're alive physically, but we're alive spiritually because of your grace. For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And the only thing we do boast in this afternoon, Lord God, is your goodness. And we praise you for that in the name of Jesus. Father, would you help us to see how much you want to extend your goodness beyond us to others? To others that are created in your image and in your likeness. Help us to see the nations from your God's eye point of view. This this afternoon in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're in Acts chapter 11? Okay. We're going to be reading from verse 19 to 21. Just a few verses. Acts 11, 19. says, now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. Preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Years ago, I heard a fictional story that I'm going to try and remember and share with you. I need to remember it, right? It's my introduction. About a a man who got on a plane because he was invited by a particular church to go to preach in a particular church. Now he became very famous, and at that time it wasn't they hadn't they didn't have the internet, so people weren't able to see kind of videos of him. But word was spreading about this man's ministry, and so a particular church heard about him and invited him to come to their church, to preach at their church. A bit like we would invite someone to come and speak here. So he gets on a plane, travels over to this particular country. And when he arrives, he comes out of the arrivals hall, right? Collects his baggage, 
and he goes to where he's supposed to meet the person from the church that has invited him that he's going to speak at. So it comes out of a rise, it comes out of the, 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 whatever you call it, the red and green, nothing to declare, comes through and he stands there, you know, there's loads of people. I'm like, half an hour later, like 45 minutes later, like an hour later, he's still standing there wondering where this person is supposed to pick him up. And as he's standing there, like there's, there's like hardly anyone left, there's everyone's People, the people that have come collecting them and they've gone. So he's standing there and there's a guy standing over him. The guy's kind of holding a plaque. So he's like, he's, he looks and he thinks, wait a minute, the guy, that's got my name on it. And he realises that the guy's there to meet him. So he goes over to the guy and he says, oh, he says, hi, I'm Mr. Such and Such and I'm here to meet you because I'm supposed to be coming to your church. Oh my gosh. The guy looks at him who's supposed to be collecting him and he's like, you're the preacher. And he's like, yeah, I'm Mr. Such and Such. He's like, I think there's been a tragic mistake. He says, he says, you're black. We don't have your kind in our church. <coughs> Remember, it's a fictional story. <laughs> so the guy's on the plane. You laugh. What we laugh in a minute? So the guy. The preacher's is, is, is broken. He's like, oh my gosh. So he turns around. He has to buy his own ticket to get on another plane to go back home. Whilst he's sitting on the plane, he's sitting there and he's thinking, why? Oh, I can't believe it. He's like, Lord, I can't believe that this church, that they wouldn't, I can't believe that they wouldn't let me in their church. And the Lord provocatively responded and said to him, don't worry, son. They won't let me in either. <laughs> This is the third week that we've, that we've been here in this building. It's our third Sunday. And um, for the past two weeks, we've been talking about mission. We started doing that because um, during our prayer meetings in the run-up to this, we were kind of looking at ourselves and repenting and turning our hearts toward the Lord. Not only knowing that we were coming here, but because of our own personal sanctification, but knowing that we were coming here, hoping that the Lord would help us, prepare us for the mission that he has called us to, right? Now we've got our HQ. And the first week we began to talk a little bit about possessing the land, Deuteronomy chapter 1, and that was the, the charge for God's people at that time. How many of you know God still has a people and he still has a charge for his people and it's similar, that is, with regards to going out and possessing the land. Now really the, 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 the fulfilment of that promise isn't physical dirt, what it is is literal people. And it's fulfilling the promise given to Abraham in Genesis 12 and in Genesis 15 about God making Abraham a father to the nations. And the nations, nations literally, not just Israel, not just the Jews, but every creed, every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every people group God wants to affect. And our job, our charge is now to go out, in the same way the children of Israel will go out, is to go out and to, and to, reach, to reach the lost. That's the mission. And Pastor E last week reminded us from Nahum, at the end there, just talking about the beauty of the gospel of the grace of God. And it's through the gospel... 
that people would actually be brought into the family of God just like how we were brought in, if we were brought in, at a particular time when we were brought in, if we're Christians today. And see, because the mission includes the gospel and it's to the nations. For us here in Lewisham, in London, how many of you know we live in a very divided community with regards to nations and nationalities? We've got racial divides, we've got ethnic divides, we've got religious divides, we've got cultural divides, we've got social division. And it's not just a black and a white issue, if you excuse the pun, right? There are, how many of you know it's not just black and white, you've got black on black division, right? You've got, you got Jamaicans who have drama with other islands in the Caribbean and vice versa. I'm not going to go into that. You know that it's a reality, right? You've got different African groups who are at odds with different African groups. Tell me I'm lying. Just as bad as the West Indies. Maybe that's where we got it from, right? Because everyone, in, well, the black people in, in, in the Caribbean come from Africa anyway. Now, I'm not saying it's an African problem. I'm saying that these issues... <laughs> you know what, we did a... We, where's that, a wedding? Where, easy now, all right. Where's that, a wedding? Where's that, a wedding this week, right? And I was presiding over the wedding. I was amazed to see Ben and Melissa. <laughs> I know you guys have got that already, but... Um, I was there trying to pronounce... Their, their names and it's like they got like five names each a couple of them I was alright on but some of them was a bit tricky and it's funny because in my mind I thought to myself boy you know I wanted to say you know I'm actually African I'm like you know what I'm saying but I'm like four generations removed right but I'm trying to get back to my roots trying to pronounce these names I'm just saying you know what I'm saying I, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to talk about stuff that relates to us see Different groups divided against different groups. And, and then you've got division within countries. Now, I mention this because I've been to Nigeria and I've seen it. I've got friends from Nigeria, not just here and family. But when I was at Bible school in, um, at Cornhill, I had two friends that myself, Mark Neal, had two friends who were from Nigeria. One of them, his name is Tukumbo, and he come from Delta State down south. And the other one, his name was Enoch. And Enoch come from Jos. If you know anything about Nigeria, and I suppose you do, you know that Joss is further north. And there are real serious issues up north. Now, Enoch, while we were in school, Mark, you bear me witness, he had a phone call, I think on more than one occasion, that not only were individuals from his town, but family members in his village were being murdered by other Nigerians. Because of religious differences. Muslims against Christians. And recently we've seen the whole thing about the 200 young ladies that were kidnapped, right? Again, on the basis of similar issues. North-South divide. And it isn't just the broad, we've got it here in this country. We've got a North-South divide where we kind of in the South think we're superior to those up in the North. And that means Kian's just come back from up North and she probably can testify to the fact that, you know what I mean, that exists, even though we don't want to say it. And then you want to bring it further down, it's weird. 
Because then you've got North London, but drama with South London. Like me, I'm from South... I'm never going to live in North London. You can't pay me to go and live in North London. Now, uh, uh, forgive me if you're here from North London and you're visiting today. Um, but you know what I'm talking about. Carl. You wouldn't come and live in South London. Well, might, maybe you might. If you like the church enough, you might think about moving to Lewisham. Who knows? And if I had to and the Lord called me to go to North London, I'd have to go. But I've got my heart set on Jamaica anyway. But You've also got, apart from the North-South divide, you've got the old and the young. The young... The young don't understand the old, and the old don't get the young. I, wanna, I, I feel like I'm moving across into the older category. I ain't there yet, but I'm moving. Because the whole tattoo thing, I struggle with it. That shows you that I'm, I'm, I'm becoming to, beginning to be a part of... Like, my mum will be, Robert, turn that music down. I'm like, mum, the music ain't loud when I was younger. Now, I'm like, you want to get a what? You want to get a tattoo? Why on earth would you want to do a thing like that? I know I'm getting old. Not to do with the Bible. It's just my own personal proclivity and perspective, right? I'm getting old. You know you've got the old and the young. You've also got the middle classes and you've got the working classes. And there's a division there. There's an invisible line there that genuinely exists and and sadly, also, there is division in the church. <clears throat> You've got the whole suit and tie set up versus the kind of jeans and trainers like, like vagabond group like us, right? <laughs> or that you can wear a suit and tie. I'll put on a suit now and again. I had a suit on this week. <laughs> now, <clears throat> then you've also got, this is, this is the part that's not going to make us laugh. Then you've also got monocultural Differences. That basically, mono meaning one. You know, like you've got stereo, stereo is two, like when you've got your sound system, two sounds. Mono is one. Is one. And where are, um, what do you call it? Uh, a black majority church. We're not a black church, but we're a black majority church. And this is one of the things that identifies us as mono cultural we're not mononational because we're many nations but we're monocultural and sorry and we're, and we're, we're mono ethnic ethnic yeah we're going to talk more about ethnicity in the future actually I should have mentioned this is probably part one in a couple of messages um, but we're a black majority church and that is, to some degree, a good thing, but it's actually also a shame. It's a shame. See? Separation in the church. You've got the white predominant churches, white majority church, and then you've got... How often do you see the two come together in a beautiful union? Where you can say half the church, you know what I'm saying, is black, and half the church is white. Or the church has... 70, 80 different nations represented. I think I counted, and I think I counted 14, which ain't bad for a church of just over 100 people. It's not bad. But what are we aiming at? See, I think it would be fair to say that we suffer from some of the prejudices, some of the problems, some of the divisions that we identify as reality. And you see, the thing is, someone has to connect across the divide. Someone's got a bridge 
the gap so that we can begin to see a, a thoroughfare between the nations to the point where we're seeing a healthy mix that represents the kingdom of God. Now, the early church had cultural and religious issues. They had issues as Jews with non-Jews that caused there to be degrees of separation. And this is something that the gospel speaks to. It's something that it shouts at, it screams at, as outlined in Acts chapter 1. If you've got your Bible, just turn there. A couple of the verses I never had time to put up. So if you could just flip back, because we're in chapter 11, 10 chapters, to chapter 1. And verse 8 says, and it's the Lord Jesus speaking to his disciples who want to know, Lord, is it now like the kingdom is going to be established? Not knowing there's going to be another 2,000 years at least, right? And Jesus turns and says to them, he says, look, he says, that's not your business when it's going to happen. The fact is, what is your business is how it's going to happen, you know what I'm saying, and your part that you play in the process of it happening. And he says, verse 8, Jesus says, but you will receive power or authority when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. This is your job. You standing here right now as my disciples will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Notice there are geographical implications to this verse, right? There's movement from one place to another to the furthest flung corners of the earth, right? Geographical implications across countries, but there are also racial implications. Because as soon as you start crossing these geographical barriers, you start crossing racial barriers, True? And you start crossing cultural barriers. And you start crossing ethnic. In order to reach these different groups. Can you see that? Now we see this beginning to be played out as early as the next chapter of Acts. So you're in chapter 1. Flick over to chapter 2. Look at verse 5. It says, now they were dwelling in Jerusalem. Notice dwelling in Jerusalem, right, which is in Israel, not just Jews. It says there were devout men from every nation, say every nation, nation. under heaven, living there. Sounds a little bit like London. One of the most multi-ethnic, multinational capitals of the world, right? Verse 6, and at this sound, it said the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them, the disciples, speak in his own language. Verse 7, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each, each of us in his own native language? Now, There are those who will take chapter 2 of Acts and talk a lot about tongues and emphasize the whole thing about tongues. That's in there, but that's not the emphasis. Can you you see that there are different nations represented right from the beginning of the early church here in Acts chapter 2? Different nations. Now listen for the different nationalities. Verse 9. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, which is modern day Turkey, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, North Africa, and parts of Libya, just next next to Egypt, belonging to Cyrene and visitors, wow, all the way from Europe, from Rome, 
both Jews and proselytes, that's converts to Judaism, right? <clears throat> Cretans and Arabians, Cretans, obviously people from Crete, and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues and language the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Amazing. Now, although the church begins to grow incredibly in number, 3,000 by the end of chapter 2, 5,000 by the end of chapter 4, verse 4, by the time you get to chapter 6, the cultural cracks begin to appear. Chapter 6, verse 1, flick over the page. Sorry if you ain't got your Bible. Verse 1, Acts chapter 6, it says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number... You see, they're growing. Uh oh. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily ministration or the daily distribution of food. There's drama. You know, people be like, oh, we need to take it back to the early church. Really? <laughs> There's no need. God would just like the early church, full of drama. See? There's a, a commentator whose name is Dave Guzik. Absolutely beautiful brother who we actually know personally. Um, I don't know where he's based now. He's based in California. Yeah, he's back in Santa Barbara. Um, that's, that's Brother Marshall's um, old church. And we got to see him this week at the, last week at the pastor's conference in York. And um, just a lovely brother, man. And he shared an incredible message. Well, Dave Guzik says about this, he says, Now, notice in verse 1 of chapter 6, you've got two groups. Who are they? <clears throat> Hellenists and... Uh, and the Hebrews, right? Two groups. Now, now, Dave says about the Hebrews, he says, Hebrews were those Jews who were more inclined to embrace Jewish culture and were mostly from Judea. It says, the Hellenists, now the other group, were those Jews who were more inclined to embrace Greek culture and were mostly from the diaspora. That is all over the Roman Empire where Jews had spread so you've got the Jews who are like hardcore, like, you know what I mean? They were like from, they're from Judea, like they're familiar with the temple, you know what I'm saying? And they're like holding down tradition. And then you've got these other, like, like these up, this, up, this next set of Jews who kind of were seen as kind of half Jews. Because they weren't really, they might not have been from these ends, from Judea. They might have been born somewhere else by Jewish parents, yes, but... They've begun to cling on to and hold on to and assimilate with Hellenistic culture. That's, that's Greek culture. Hellenism, you know, remember, Alexander the Great, he conquered um, Persians? Persians? Greeks? Yeah. He, yeah the Greeks conquered, yeah, 300. The Greeks conquered <laughs> the Persians and... <laughs> Madness. Look where I get my history from. <laughs> the, the Greeks conquered the Persians and Alexander the Great... What was my point? Alexander the Great was a Greek. And when they conquered the whole known world at that point, they got everybody speaking Greek. They got everybody listening to their music. They got everyone looking at their art. And they got everyone speaking their language. A bit like English. You know, you go anywhere in the world now, you're like, excuse me, mate, how much, how, much, how much is that? How much are those bananas? Expecting them to speak English. Why? Because it's the lingua franca. You know what I'm saying? It's a common language. We're all over the world. It was the same thing in terms of the Greeks at the turn of the first century, or just before the turn of the first century. And they influenced virtually everywhere, and it was called Hellenism. So now you've got these Jews 
who ain't really kind of, they're still connected to their Jewish roots, but they're, they're assimilated in, in, in Greek culture. And they look a bit different. And they sound a bit different. <clears throat> the Hebrews were more traditional. The Hellenists were more contemporary. Yet they were all Jews. It's a little bit like whether you're white English or you're black Caribbean or you're black African. Right? You know that in your culture there's the traditional element and then there's the contemporary element. Within white culture, West Indian culture, African culture, right? And sometimes they can be minor, but sometimes these issues can be major, even to the point of being divisive amongst the same group. And within the Christian community, one group can seem... I'm talking about, I'm talking about in these particular groups that I just mentioned. You've got Christians in these groups... And sometimes, one group can seem to be more or less spiritual than the other. And sometimes this causes mad drama. Particularly when the older, particularly with, I should say, the older and the younger, younger generations. Within the same culture. Now, do you, do you ever feel the tension in your own family? As a younger, potentially person? Or as an older person? Do you feel the tension? Well, whether we feel it or not, it's there. And there's nothing new under the sun. Getting back to the Hebrews and Hellenists. For the most part, Hebrews tended to regard the Hellenists as unspiritual compromisers. Compromising with Greek culture and Greek music and Greek art. And Hellenists, they regarded Hebrews as holier-than-thou traditionalists. This is the division. So what do they do to resolve the issue? The middle of verse 5, if we're still in Acts chapter 6. And they chose Stephen. Now remember, there's drama between the Hellenists and the Hebrews. And the disciples have got to do something about it. So they're like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Well, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Seven men that there's something specific about. They've all got Greek names, which is unusual. They've got Greek names indicating that they're probably Hellenists themselves. And they're people who can show great sensitivity to the offended group of Hellenists by appointing these Hellenists to take care of these widows. It's like you've got these widows and they're feeling ostracized by the larger, by the majority group of traditionalists. And they're feeling away even though they're all Jews. So the disciples say, what are we going to do who are Jews? They're like, let's pick some people that can relate to them. And they pick Greek, they pick Hellenists influence Jews to go and help them. Can you see that? Then look at what happens as a result in verse 7. It says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests, who incidentally were another cultural group, many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Can you see how beautiful that is? God is able to bring about peace between cultural and ethnic and racially divided groups. Amen? Amen. 
But then there are groups even from within the same race, but have a different creed, different principles, same nationality, but different principles, different ideologies, different values, different attitudes, even to the degree that by the end of chapter 6 into chapter 7, Stephen, who's the first guy that's named as one of the group that they choose, he's murdered. He's murdered by his own people, by his own ethnic group. Which brings us nicely to our text in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. If you just turn back to our text with me. It says, now. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. So Stephen's murdered. It's like, oh my gosh, all of the believers are running wild now because who wants to get martyred next? Everyone's ducking out of Jerusalem and they're running scared, literally. You know, and, and the scriptures encourage us to do that under persecution. You don't stay there and like lie down. You know what I mean? You duck out. Jesus says, if you go to a town and don't want to hear you, what do you do? Shake the dust off your feet and duck out. That's what, so they do that. And if you like these particular Christians... They've left the town because their lives are in danger. Sometimes the Lord will allow different and even difficult circumstances to come into our lives sometimes to cause us to move. Isn't that true? And I'm saying because it contributes, even though it's difficult and we don't like it, it causes us to move forward in his purposes. And persecution is one of those things. Verse 19 continues. It says that they traveled. That's these who who leave, right? Because of the persecution. They traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Forgot my remote control. If you look to the bottom right hand corner of the screen. You can see Israel, right? Israel's on their tiny little country. Sorry if you never bring your glasses. (laughs) Just above Israel is Lebanon. Right? Now Lebanon is ancient, that area there is ancient Phoenicia. And what's the other place? Cyprus. So you can see Cyprus. Now Cyprus, you'd probably know, you've probably been there on holiday. You can see it is Cyprus is just what? Not never eat shredded. It's kind of northwest of Israel. Oh thank you. Passing. God run off my own heart. Love technology like. Okay, and walk with his things in all. <laughs> so, this is the particular area where they've, they've gone to. Now, obviously, it's very small on the map, but it's, they've covered quite a distance. Leaving Judea, going through Samaria, Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to, to Judea, through Samaria, unto, well, they haven't got to the utmost parts of the earth, but can you see the trajectory? Can you see they're beginning to move, move out? What's going on, sis? And I've just realised it so they're moving out and it says it says that's how far they travelled even to Antioch um, just over by Syria Syria so they're travelling quite far I just want you to kind of get a picture of where it is it's quite a substantial distance from where where it all started in Jerusalem just like Jesus said a moment ago in chapter 1 verse 8 now notice what they didn't do notice what they didn't do They didn't speak to anyone who was from their cultural group. Did you see that? Look look what he says after Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch. Speaking the word to no one except Jews. Except their own. Except the ones that they kind of were inclined to speak to. Barring others. 
Can you see that? Now what's that all about? After being with Jesus, you know. Or at least after being in contact with those who were with Jesus. You see how even, even people who follow Jesus can be a little bit off key. Speaking the word to no one except Jews. These are Jewish by nationality, Christian by creed, but Hebrew by culture. Don't mess with my culture. You know that sometimes our culture gets the better of us. Sometimes our culture will trump our Christianity. We've got to be careful. You could have the they're like, we ain't trying to speak to any other cultural group. We're just, we're just trying to share, we're just trying to share the love among our own. You could have the same color skin, the same ancient historical identity, you could have the same kind of surname. Your parents could even come from the same town, from the same village. But I ain't trying to talk to you. Come out like the Tootsies and the Hutus. I mean, we've got them same issues right out on us, right outside this building. You've got black youths from Peckham, like, want to kill black youths from New Cross or from Deptford. Blueborough versus Greenborough. Yet they're all the same color. Blue versus green, but it's still black on black. See, this is... If for these guys, it's like... There's such a cultural disconnect... It's like you might as well be invisible to these Jews. This is a tragedy. And the thing is, before we start throwing stones, right, the question is, are we any better? Could we also be guilty of doing the same thing? Listen to this quote by George Aiken. He says, if we were to wake up one morning and find that everyone was the same race, creed, and colour by noon. <laughs> There'd be some other cause for prejudice. Now tell me that ain't the truth. In my introduction, I told you this fictitious story that has its roots in factual history. Sad story. We don't we don't have your we we, we don't have your kind here. But wait a minute, bruv, you cut me, I bleed the same red blood like you. No, we don't have your kind here. But you know that is true for modern history. In the, in the southern states of America up to the 1960s, which is when I was born, which wasn't a long time ago, I would like to think. <laughs> racial, racial division in society was common. It was actually the norm. Just 50 years ago. Not that I'm 50. I was born in the late 60s. <laughs> That's only 50 years ago. That's not a long time ago. When my mum and dad first came to this country, were looking for accommodation, they were greeted with signs like... Now that's not that's not my dad. <laughs> so like, I want to take you back culturally. I want to take you back in time. And there'd be signs up like this one. You can see the window. You can't read the sign. I'll read the top one for you. I think. 
it says, <laughs> I think it says vacancies, like something about vacancies. But the sign underneath says, no Irish, no blacks, no dogs. That is what some of our parents were confronted with. Maybe even some are even here this, this, this afternoon. Think about Mr. Carnegie, Mama Shirley. This stuff was real and fresh to them. See, this is not something that happened thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago. Now, it's one thing to have this in society, but it's another thing to have this in the church. Dr. Martin Luther King, he said, listen to this, if you haven't already read it. It is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Let me read that again. It is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Let me play you a, a video clip. I went through the five appearances of Martin Luther King here on Meet the Press. This one is from April of 1960. And it's particularly appropriate in light of the discussion we've had of Reverend Jeremiah Wright and some of the things said in black churches. Here's Dr. King talking about the differences between white churches and black churches and what happens at 11 o'clock in the morning on Sunday. Let's watch. Dr. King, now how many white people are members of your church in Atlanta? I don't have any white members, Mr. Benjamin. Well, sir, you said integration of the law of the land, and it's um, morally right, whereas segregation is morally wrong, and the president should do something about it. You mean the president should issue an order that the schools and the churches and the stores should all be integrated? I think it is one of the tragedies of our nation, one of the shameful tragedies, that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours, if not the most segregated hours in Christian America. Uh, I definitely think the Christian church should be integrated, and any church that uh, stands against integration and that has a segregated body is standing against the spirit and the teachings of Jesus Christ and it fails to be a true witness. Uh, but this is something that the church will have to do itself. I don't think church integration will come through uh, legal processes. I might say that my church is not a segregating church. It's segregated, but not segregating. It would welcome white men. Dr. Dyson, 40 years later, we still have segregated churches. It's so true. The quote Dr. King uh, was... Racial division was common in the church just 50 years ago. Now that was then. But the sad fact is that racial, ethnic and cultural divisions still exist today. They're still apparent in the church today. And the question on the table is what are we going to do about it? Because you can have one group blaming another group and the other group blaming the other group but the question is what are we going to do about it? Now, I want to show you what a church 
in Ohio, it's actually called Shiloh Baptist Church, I've got to come out of this for one second, in Ohio, what they did. Now, I'm not saying that we must do what they did, but I just want to show you that, you know, there are people who are serious about doing something about the problem. could think about doing. People think, what? Shut the church down? What, and go and visit another church? That's madness. 
We'd say that, wouldn't we? They done it. And I'm encouraged and inspired, and I think some of you were, that's why you that was it, that gentle round of applause. You know what I'm saying? I think we definitely need to think way out the box. You know what I mean? And there's no reason why we ought not to, because the challenge is so great it may call for something radical. And and I think, you know, us as a leadership, we're already seeing something radical happening with us. We're talking about church planting. And I'm saying, and it's not just talk, it's actually happening. And I'm saying, and I'm sure at some point <clears throat> over the next few weeks, Pastor P's going to be able to communicate quite clearly what I want and get everybody nervous. <laughs> because it's, it's some now, but it's going to be others later. We're already round, look, the place is already full. There ain't got no space in here. What are we, not just what are we going to do in terms of planting churches, that's radical. For us, it's radical. But what are we going to do to plant churches to see, to see others reached with regards to this mission across the cultures? Because it's not signs up now saying no blacks, no, no dogs, no, no Irish. It's no Polish. And I wonder if some of us are guilty of saying quiet prejudiced or making prejudiced or even racial statements about those who are coming over from Eastern Europe. If I'm honest, I have. Lord, forgive me. What are we going to do? Well, that's one of the questions we're going to open up for discussion among ourselves and even between ourselves as we're thinking about how we're going to tackle this problem over the next few weeks and months. Amen? Amen. Welcome, to the convers- convers- welcome to the conversation. <laughs> And <clears throat> well, with regards to getting back to our story, is this where the story ends in Acts? With regards to some Hebrews only like only sharing with those of their kind, does it stop there? Look at Acts. Look at Acts eleven, where we're at. Look at verse twenty, which is the next verse. We just saw that some of them weren't, but verse twenty, but. But there's some. There's a, but is it? I remember my mum used to say back in the day, "But is a conjunction." Like, but is one of them words that kind of stops you in your tracks. And sometimes it's negative, but sometimes, like here, it's positive. But in contrast to those who would only go to their own, there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, on coming to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists also. They didn't just speak to the Hebrews. And probably because they themselves were Hellenists, notice where they come from. They come from Cyprus. They come from Cyrene. Did you know the man who helped Jesus carry the cross? He was from... You ever heard it said that the man who helped Jesus carry the cross was a black man? Well, he come from Libya, because that's where Cyrene is, which is North Africa. These Jews had already experienced being sidelined, right? Because they themselves were sidelined. Reaching out to those who were sidelined is to ostracize reaching out to the ostracized. How many ostracized people we got in here today? I've got both hands up because I know I'm mixed up. I think about my, my kids. It's like, because I'm living in a quote-unquote foreign land. I mean, that's a, and that's apart from heaven, right? 
And I, mean, I look at my kids and I'm really, it's like, wow. It's like, my parents are from Jamaica, I'm born in the UK. My wife's parents are from India, southern India, Madras, and, and, and originally from, from Holland, Helen's dad. And her mum is from Spain, not mainland Spain, but from Gibraltar, off the coast of Spain. That's what I'm saying. What are my kids? Like, they're, they're mixed up. They're mixed. <laughs> they're mixed. They're, li- they're really mixed. They're blessed. Amen. Amen. They are blessed, man. Of course they're blessed. What we want to do is we want to isolate ourselves and be monocultural. How? That's a madness, isn't it? If I just want my culture, like, I only want to eat the kind of food that I like. That's a madness. You know what? When I met Helen, to my shame, it was the first time I ever ate Indian food. My gosh. I never really started travelling until I got married. Ask Pastor E. It was like, a lot of it was to do with the ministry, but a lot of it was to do with my culture. When I was young, listen, when we went on holiday, I'm not going to ask mum where we're going this year. I know where we're going. There's only one place that we go on holiday. And that's home. Can I get a witness? What I'm saying? I never know nothing back here in Italy. And Spain. The only place I ever went, yeah, that were at Jamaica, was Boulogne, France, when I went on a school journey. You get me? <laughs> I'm saying, what kind of... Is that, something, is, is that something to... That's not something to glorify. You know what I'm saying? That's ignorance in, 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 in a... In a, in a, in, a non, in a non-judgmental sense. I'm just saying... It's broaden the, to broaden the horizons is a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a healthy thing. Where was that? These Jews had already experienced being ostracized themselves. So they were like, you know what? There's more to the world. And so when they went out, they weren't inhibited to only stick with their own. They, were, they, they, they had a freedom and a liberty now to link with other people. There were barriers that... Remember I talked about this, this cultural divide that prevents us, like a chasm, from reaching out to and connecting with others. Well, they never had this issue. Because they were born elsewhere, and they were familiar with elsewhere. I'm going to preach out the whole of the second message today. But it didn't even stop there. Time is against me. It didn't even stop there. Can you see Why? Let me read verse 20 again. Oh my gosh. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. Notice that they weren't just, well, you know, we're just, because <clears throat> there could have been the temptation for them to say, all right, you look only want to speak to the Jews. Well, cool. Well, you look chat to the Jews, innit? You look, just stick with your own, innit? We're going to go and stick with the Hellenists. No, it says they spoke to the Hellenists also. That means that they were connecting with their own people too. Wow. These Jewish Christians were willing and able, which is what we're going to look at next time, but they were willing to not only reach out to their own, but also to others outside of their ethnic, cultural, national community. They spoke to everyone, including those of their own kind, their own tribe, their own cultural group. There's much we need to learn from this. And notice the content of their message as we get ready to finish. 
he says. The content of their message, what does it say they did? They went preaching the Lord Jesus. They were faithfully declaring the gospel, that is the good news. And they were being witnesses, testifying, like Jesus said in Acts 1 verse 8, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And to the utmost, we see that being fulfilled, just like Jesus said. Now, how many of you know this is a legacy that continues? This is something we can celebrate, even today, in this very church, as God's people, 2,000 miles away from Jerusalem. I always emphasize that point, because it's amazing to me, it's encouraging to me that Jesus don't tell lies. He said it would happen, so let it be said, so let it be written. And we see it happen. The message they shared was this. They talked about Jesus as Lord. They preached the Lord Jesus. Now, Jesus, right? You know, Jesus, <clears throat> you know what the word means? It's Yeshua. It means God is Savior. I wrote a verse years ago, and it says, Yeshua, talking about Jesus, right? Yeshua, Savior, not just only by name, the one who saved from the heat and the flame. He lived 33 years with purpose and aim, and I'm rejoicing in the fact that he came, despising the shame. He didn't have to take my blame. I resisted, yet he still put himself in a frame. I was paraplegic. I had more than a sprain. But he's great at binding up the wounded and the lame. Gee, he's... How many of you have, have had your wounds bound up? Amen. I know I've had mine, and I'm still in the process of getting them bound up. I still got issues, amen? amen. Still walking with a limp out here. <sighs> but he's our saviour, he's our rescuer. And Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who put their trust in him. Those who come unto God through him, is what the verse says. He's our saviour. But not only is he saviour, because we're like, oh, Jesus, saviour. Hallelujah. Come and rescue me. Like Lois Lane. And you see him come flying in, right? You're there like this, trembling. Like cold and wet. Mash up, can't, can't move. And he comes and just... He don't even break a sweat. He just stands there with his cake fluttering in the wind. And he just lifts you up like Lois Lane. Where Lois can't do nothing for herself. Weak and feeble. <laughs> and Jesus, and, and here comes Superman that scoops her up like this like it's nothing and he just takes off and he, take, and, he, and he sets her down on a safe place you know what I mean where she's secure and she ain't going to fall off the cliff into the abyss you know what I mean why because it's, it's Superman it's like for, for Superman it's nothing it's like it's nothing that's Je- yo that's Jesus now you might front and act like you're not Lois Lane, act like you don't need no help out there. But it's alright. Cut. He's saviour, but he's also Lord. And the word in Greek is curios. You know what I mean? It means master. What does it mean? It means master. It means supreme in authority. So he saves you. But then he doesn't like, walk off and leave you just to do what you want to do now. He saves you for a purpose, saves you to himself. 
And part of the next, the next part of the thing is that he's going to now tell you what to do. Now it's all right because he ain't going to tell you not to do something that's going to harm you. He just saved you. Don't be like the children of Israel. Oh, you brought us out here to kill us? No, he never. He saved you. And I'm, I want to go back to Egypt. Let's go back to the world. What? Go back to heroin. What? Go back to crack. Go back to alcohol. Come on now. He saved you to keep you. But now he's got something for you to do. And he gives you those instructions as, as curious, as lord, as master, as your governor. See? And that's the, this is the message that they preached. And yet the invitation is to you to come to him. Oh, he will come and save you. All you've got to do is cry out to him. Other religions will scream from the riverbank while you're drowning. Be like, here comes one religion. Look, you need to swing your arms backwards. That's how you can rest. That's how you can save yourself. No, no. And another religion comes along and says, "No, no, no. That's not how you get saved. You need to put. You need to swing your arms forward." And the next one comes and chat about some doggy paddle. Every one of them will give you instructions how to save yourself. There's only one of them. There's only one religion that says, "Don't worry. You can't save yourself. So stop trying." And here he comes, like, like, like. Remember Ashley at Austria. And he dives in, silky smooth, and he comes and, and he rescues you. If, you. if you over there will cry out to him, he'll rescue you. That's the message that they, they preached. The Lord Jesus, Savior and Governor. And look at the result of this faithful witness by these faithful disciples in verse 21. And it says, and the hand of the Lord was with them. The Hellenists who linked with people that weren't just like themselves. The hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Because of the hand of the Lord. Dave Guzik again says, A ministry can't turn people to the Lord unless the hand of the Lord is with them. He says, you can turn people to a personality without the hand of the Lord. He says, you can turn people to a social club without the hand of the Lord. You can turn people to a church or an institution without the hand of the Lord. But you can't turn people to the Lord without the hand of the Lord. Amen. And we want to be a people, don't we? We want to be a people that's reaching out. To see people turn to the Lord by the hand of the Lord, by his grace. And we do so by preaching the good news. The gospel about Jesus, who is Lord. As we finish, let me remind you of what it's going to look like in heaven. Just in case you think, this reaching out to other nations, other ethnic groups and other cultures is long. And I can't see it happening or working. Revelation chapter 7 says after this. I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, that's Jesus, Lord Jesus, the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, amen. Amen. Multinational, multi-ethnic, multicultural mission. That's what we're on. Will you join us on that mission? Will you join us on that mission? I'm going to ask the 
the band to come up as I pray. Well, Father, thank you that you give us a reason to live. Thank you, Father, that... <clears throat> wow. Lord, apart from your hand being upon us and with us, we're never going to fulfill the mission, which is not just a... It's not just a, to reach out to our own. That's so comfortable, Lord. And the thing is, Lord, sometimes we won't even do that. Sometimes we don't even want to reach out, Lord, to, to our family. We don't even want to reach out to our friends, Lord. We don't want to reach out to our neighbours. And we're all so similar. Our, our family is our family. Our friends, we relate to them and they relate to us, Lord, and our neighbours. They live next door. We, live on, we, we share the same street. We might even share the same building. Lord, we struggle to reach out to them. Lord, how? How are we going to reach across the borders, across the boundaries, Lord? We need you to build a bridge, Lord. We need you to to work in us in such a way, Lord, that, I don't know, the Bible says the righteous are as bold as lambs. Proverbs 28, verse 1. Yet, Lord, I don't feel bold. I feel weak and insipid. I feel so unable and incapable Lord and I know I know I know what the mission is and I, Lord I want to sign up for the mission I want to say Lord sign me up Lord and I cast my mind back and I think about a time when, when I said that 20 23 years ago 24 years ago and Lord I remember at a time I was on it at one time I didn't care friend or foe I would get out the gospel like differently it was without, without hesitation. And, and yet, Lord, it feels now I'm a sophisticated Christian. I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. I've got my job that I do. But, Lord, we're all called to be witnesses. We're all called to do the work of an evangelist. We may not be evangelists. And so, Lord, I pray that on a personal level, Lord, but on a, also on a corporate level as a church, you would help us. Help us to be on mission. And Lord, a mission that sees us reaching out, Lord, even if people don't want to hear it, even if people spit in our face, even if people despise us and reject us and cast us out as evil, Lord, I pray that you give us the courage to reach out, Lord, that we would see this mission fulfilled and that we would be counted among the number of those, like it said in Daniel, Lord, those who are, is it those who are wise men's souls? That we'd be that we'd be in that category, Lord. But, like I said, Father, we can't do it without your power, without your help. Lord Jesus, this is your mission. Would you empower us, as you promised the disciples, said to them, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Lord, would you come upon us with power that divinely enables us, Lord, to do this wonderful work in Jesus' name.
find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.